Hey, product people, welcome to the Product to Profit podcast. We're pulling back the curtain on what it's really like to scale a product-based business profitably and getting into the mindset of a seasoned buyer. I'm your coach, Kristen Fisher, a former corporate retail buyer with over 15 years of experience working for some major brands that you would definitely know, turned six-figure e-commerce store owner of my own gifting brand, Boku, and a retail strategy coach for product-based business owners, just like yourself. Inside this podcast, I have honest conversations about what's going on inside of my own business. And I'm also sharing insights to help you get inside the mindset of a buyer to start applying big retail strategies to your own small retail business. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so honored to have Ruthie Starrett here with me today to talk all things marketing and content planning. Ruthie is a brand and marketing strategist and the founder of the Consistency Corner, which is a content marketing and management agency that helps small business owners create consistent content that drives revenue through quarterly planning, simple marketing best practices, positive reinforcement, and accountability. I'm obsessed with Ruthie. We're friends. We met in a mastermind last year. I guess we've known each other for like a year and a half now, I guess. And we immediately connected on our retail backgrounds. I feel like if you've been in retail, you just have this instant connection with somebody. And I've had the honor of being on her podcast, The Consistency Corner. And so I'm just really happy to welcome you here. So thank you for joining me today. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. And you're right. We totally geeked out on our retail background. And I think I I even remember us saying like, we should have a podcast of like corporate retail secrets revealed. Like we totally had that idea because, you know, from the consumer side of it. Like there's just so much that you don't realize goes on behind the scenes from a planning perspective and branding and marketing. And like as a consumer, you actually think it's about the stuff. And unfortunately, that's one of the mistakes that I see product-based businesses make sometimes is it becomes about the stuff. And when it comes to your marketing it's not about the stuff. It's about so much more. So much more. Okay, this was the best lead-in ever. I want to really dig into that. First, please tell me a little bit about your background so everybody can get to know you. And then we're going to talk about the marketing versus the stuff. Yeah, for sure. So I have a 20-ish year retail career. Started out in retail management um, and retail merchandising. Actually, like 18 years old, I got a job at Victoria's Secret. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I majored in selling and sales management in college and continued to work in retail management for like 15 years. I did um, merchandising in some high volume stores, got a lot of access to corporate. And I always was super passionate about brand consistency because I felt like that was so important to the customer journey. And after I had my my son, I actually had the opportunity to step into a corporate marketing role. And the funny thing is I literally had nothing. I didn't know anything about marketing and everybody was always, Oh, you should go into marketing. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't go to school for that. But because I was so passionate about branding and I was like many of us side hustling in the network marketing world, I was like teaching myself all about like the funnel and the customer journey and brand strategy and mission, vision, values. And when I had this opportunity to step into a corporate marketing role for a multi-location omni-channel retailer, I told the CEO, like, I don't actually know what I'm doing, just so you know, but I will figure it out. And I mean, the good thing is I already worked for them. I worked for them in a merchandising capacity. And I spent a lot of time in my early years there with the marketing director who didn't have a retail background. And so I was able to bring bring my retail background and my like lens for the customer journey and the customer experience to the corporate world. And again, we talked about the beginning, like I noticed that the company was making it all about the stuff. Like every single marketing messaging was about the product. And I was like, you guys, People can buy stuff anywhere. Like there are so many places that you can buy stuff. It cannot be just about the stuff. And I know you're from a buyer perspective, like we would sit in meetings with buyers who had way more years of experience than me. And they would just look at me like I had three heads. Like, uh, yeah, it's about the stuff. And I'm like, get this marketing person out of here. <laughs> I'm trying to bring this beautiful, perfect collection together. <laughs> 
And this girl wants to talk about ideal customers and brand values. Like what is happening here? You know, when, when we would get into conversations about like promotional strategy and all of these things, it's like, yes, those are all layers in the whole conversation. But if you don't have the foundation of your brand values and your mission and your why and who you serve and what is different about you, all of that stuff just becomes noise because there is so much noise and so much stuff. And so having that foundation built, I always give the um, analogy that it's like a house and like picking out colors and logos and like brand design, that's really fun. And that's like picking out paint colors and light fixtures. But if you put paint colors and light fixtures on a patch of dirt, they're not going to last. But if you create a foundation for your home where you like dig the hole and you create the slab or the block or like these are things my husband says because he's in construction. I don't actually know the real words, but it's not sexy. It's not fun to do that part of the work. And that's the writing out your mission. That's revisiting your values. That's truly understanding who your ideal customer is, what her problems are and what where she wants to be. And that's the stuff that you've got to do first for all the other stuff to really work and last. Well, I think that's such an amazing analogy because it really is so easy to get caught up in the stuff that you're really excited and passionate about. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast are makers and they're designing and bringing their brands to life. And I think that that's a really hard thing to do to separate and say, okay, let me pause and think about the why behind my brand and how that informs what you're, you know, designing and bringing together. You have to have that foundation. That's a really, a really good point. I'm wondering from your perspective, if you are already a couple years into your business and you have an idea who your ideal customer is and you have a general idea of your values, but they're just sitting in a Google doc somewhere collecting dust from whenever you first launched and you know, you're two, three, four years into building collections and you kind of feel like maybe your marketing feels a little bit stale. Do you have any thoughts on how to kind of pull it back together? Like how to revisit that and have that inform your future collections? Yeah. You know, I do think that you should revisit your brand mission, your brand values and who your ideal customer is on a quarterly basis just to like reinforce and get it top of mind in your head. I mean, I used to keep a mission statement for the brand that I was working for, like on the bulletin board next to my desk. And I would look at it like regularly just to remind myself as I was creating content and strategies, like, does this go back to the mission and the values? And then uh, one thing that I think is really powerful for product-based businesses is brand photography and working with a photographer to get images that tell the story of your brand. And the interesting thing is, is if you have all of that information written out in a Google doc or in a spreadsheet or whatever, you can share those words with a brand photographer, and then they can help you capture those images that tell that story. And so it can keep it visually top of mind of like, who am I serving? Who do they want to be? And I'll share this quick story about this towel that I bought my son. I just did an Instagram live about this because I had to tell everybody the story because it was so freaking powerful. My son is seven. We just started summer camp and there's this brand that I got served an ad who knows how long ago. And they had personalized towels, like super cute, put their little names on it. And at one point or another, I clicked on the ad and then they continued to retarget me because I clicked on the ad and engaged with their brand and they know I'm their ideal customer. But what converted me was not like the thread count or the softness or any of the words. What converted me was the picture of the happy kid. But here's the thing, their brand ideal customer isn't the happy kid. It's not the kid at all. It's me. It's the mom making the purchase. But they're showing me the images of the happy kid because as a customer, what I desire is at my core is to be the mom with the happy kid. And so in a like subconscious moment of weakness, I bought a way too expensive towel because they were showing me who I want to be. And that I think is so important for us to think about as brand owners and marketers is especially product-based businesses. Cause I hear people say this a lot of like, well, I just, I sell headbands. Like head headbands aren't going to change anybody's life. Like, okay, you're right. And that towel didn't change my life. But the 
action of purchasing the towel like reinforced for just a second. Like you're the mom that can buy a personalized, way too expensive towel for your kid and you're successful. Like go you. And you have a really happy kid who's going to have the best damn time at this overly priced summer camp. (laughs) Yes. But those brand images are so important because they tell the story. And I, I am not a photographer, But I like have a ton of respect for photographers because talented photographers can take all of that feeling and that emotion and put it into an image that then you can use to tell your brand story to connect with your customers. So I know we haven't really got into the conversation about like where to invest and what to invest in, but I do think brand photography is super powerful and you want to get evergreen photography, right? Like I was just going to say that totally, because I mean, you can, this doesn't mean that every collection that you put out there has to be right. Like it doesn't have to be this professionally shot collection. You could have this really solid bank of branded content that's evergreen with your bestsellers that you're always going to have, or maybe you do like twice a year for spring, summer and a fall holiday, something like that. And then you can shoot on your iPhone the other products. But I do think it's really important to tell that that brand story and have it be like that emotional side, not just about the product. I think that's such a good point. I'm curious your thoughts on taking that evergreen content and how you kind of, or I should say like ideal branded imagery and video. Maybe that's more of the question. How do you work that into your content plan so that your content and your website, I mean, it's kind of across the board, but so your content doesn't feel like this perfectly polished brand all the time. If you're trying to be a more personal, you know, you put your face out there and you're trying to like have it be a personal small business, but also you work in this evergreen content. Like, is there a way to kind of intertwine them in terms of like consistency or where you're posting it and things like that? Yeah. You know, I think about it as like hero images. Like we want to make sure that like the banner on the website is a hero image and is like the best of the best. Like that's, that should be an evergreen type photo or like a really, really powerful image. And, you know, let's say we have some lifestyle photography that we're able to sprinkle in with our products because they're things we always carry, bestsellers, things like that. But then other products are flat lay. And this is a conversation that I actually had with a web manager or an e-commerce manager at one point about like, okay, well, what's the standard? If the standard is flat lay, meaning I'm going to have a flat lay photo for every single product, like then that's my hero image because it's consistent. But that doesn't mean I can't click into the product and swipe through and have some of those lifestyle images that reinforce. And same thing with like your Instagram grid content, like use the flat lays, but also use the lifestyle images to tell the story. And I think what we're seeing right now, because there's so much content for us to consume, that if you constantly use the same type of image, people begin to scroll on by. So we want to have a variety of image types video that you can cycle through. And that's where you can sprinkle in that evergreen content that like really truly tells the brand story at an elevated level with the stuff that like was shot on your iPhone. And don't get me wrong, you can do some amazing stuff with your iPhone lately. Um, That in Canva, like you can really do some great photography, but using that evergreen type imagery regularly enough that it becomes like, a signal to the customer of like, yes, this is that brand. And that's where brand colors and fonts. When I first started in marketing, I had no idea the importance of fonts. Like a graphic designer had to tell me like, oh my God, that email hurts my eyes because you're using like four types of fonts. And I was like, what? You know, and it's just one of those things that like you don't see what you don't see, but then once you see it and you learn it, I have very similar experience. The first time I was learning merchandising and like mannequin placement, like I stood next to a senior merchandiser who literally tweaked the angle of the mannequins and the height of the mannequins for like an hour and a half. And I was like, what are we doing? Why is this taking a hundred years? And then as I learned and had more experience, I was able to like see what they were seeing and seeing how cleaning up the lines and the simplicity of it and the consistency of it made it easier for the eye to digest. So it made it easier for the customer to like consume and understand. And so having standards for your brand with colors, with fonts, with logo usage, that right there can help you elevate your content 
and take that evergreen content versus that like in the moment iPhone content and streamline it so that they they go together and they're cohesive. Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's about how you like bridge the gap between the stuff that you photograph or film and the stuff that the professionals do so it feels cohesive but also like there's very clearly a photographer's shot happening and there's also it's like, oh, okay, you shot that on your iPhone, but you're like a real brand that I want to connect with, which I think is super important right now. I'm curious, I'm going to divert a little bit because you talked a little bit about funnels or you just briefly mentioned funnels (laughs) earlier. And I want to go back to that because I've told you this before, and I told you this right before we got on this episode or recording that before I had left corporate, I had literally never heard of funnels. I'm sure the marketing team was always talking about funnels and I was tuning it out because I was the buyer of like, stop telling me about the marketing stuff. I want I want this product. But funnels are something that I think are really critical in marketing that once you understand them and you have a really clear customer journey with you, it removes the block around like how your content is funneling people from wherever you're posting it through to purchase. So I'd love to get your perspective on funnels and how that relates to a product business because it's thrown around a lot in the coaching space. But for product businesses, I'd love your perspective. Yeah. So when I was in my corporate role and I stepped into the marketing world, that brand had been in existence for at that point, I want to say like 11 or 12 years. And the bottom line is the funnel, there's three phases of the funnel, attract, nurture, and convert. Like that's the simplest way that you need to attract customers. You need to nurture that audience. And then you need to convert them to actually be paying customers, which is the similar to you've, they've got to know you, they've got to like you, and they've got to trust you. And so what had happened was this brand had been in business for like 10 or 11 years and there had fallen on some tougher times and budgets were cut and there was like no money being spent on attract marketing. So they were basically taking their existing customer base and only marketing to that customer base. Like they were sending emails to that existing customer base. They were posting on social media to the customers that already shopped from them. And like, that was kind of it. So what was happening was the email list wasn't growing because we weren't filling the top of the funnel. We weren't doing things to bring in new eyes to the business. And so growth became really flat. And as you're building a business, growth is important because if you're not growing, like you're dying, especially with inflation, like we have to have some growth, right? But the problem is, is growth strategies or attract marketing doesn't give a immediate return on investment. And I remember talking with the owner about return on investment for ad spend. So return on ad spend and how convert strategies and convert style ads, which is basically remarketing, which is like the ad that I got served from the towel company. Like I'd visited their website. They're now remarketing me. Like those are convert. Those are bottom of funnel. Those have a more like, they're more likely to be driving conversions. So they have a better return on ad spend. So they're like, okay, so why would we even spend money on top of funnel? Why would we spend money on awareness when people are not going to buy from those things? Like they don't give us a return on investment. Well, because they get people aware of who you are so that they can move down the funnel and eventually buy from you. And for different customers that like moment from awareness to the moment they purchase it's different for everybody. It, it's different depending upon what you sell. It's different depending upon the customer, the seasonality, the time of year, what's going on in the market, all those things. But if you're never filling the top of your funnel and having strategies in place for new people to learn you exist, you are never going to grow. Because your warm market, even though a lot of those customers will buy from you again, some of them won't. And so you have to keep filling the top of the funnel. So from like a, okay, what the F is a funnel? It's what am I doing to attract customers? What am I doing to nurture those customers? And what am I doing to convert those customers? And there are hundreds of things that you can do for all three of those phases. But it's about picking a couple strategies, especially in the beginning, one or two, and doing them consistently. Because if we don't do them consistently, we're never going to see the results because there is lag time and there is learning that has to be done. And we've got to get traction and the the power of the compound effect. And what I see a ton of business owners do is they're like, okay, I'm going to do all the things all at once. And then they are like, it's way too much and they burn out and then they stop and do nothing. 
And that yo-yo cycle of start, stop, start, stop never serves them. It's finding the consistency and getting really consistent at one or two things before we layer on the next thing. But always having that awareness when you sit down and you look at your business goals of what am I doing to attract? How am I nurturing that audience? And what are my conversion strategies so that they actually buy? Oh, that was like a perfect little like quip right there. I was like, that was, you just said that so perfectly. I was like, in awe of you. You're amazing. I mean, we all know that it's such a numbers game and particularly with product businesses, e-commerce, it's like you have to continuously fill the top of the funnel and it works its way down. And the most obvious thing is paying to play and paying for ads. And I know that's continuously getting more expensive, more difficult. I think with AI and all the changes with Google, it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of years too. So there's that. I don't really want to get down the road of ads right now because that's we all know that like if you want to fill your top of funnel, the bottom hanging fruit is to just dump money into it. Okay, not all of us can do that. Well... But I will say you can, there's, I have seen brands dump money before they're ready because you want to have a proven funnel before you pour fuel on it with dollars, because you can waste a lot of money by not having things like tested out. And when I say tested out, like, okay, when somebody signs up for your email list, what happens? What's the email that they get? When somebody lands on your website, what happens? What happens next? When they go to your social media, do they have organic content that they can consume and interact with and learn more about your brand? If you don't, like you start pouring money in ads, you're just like throwing money in the garbage can. Well, yeah, you're driving people to wherever they're going to. If they're going to your website, if they're going to your Instagram or wherever you're driving them to, like you said, what happens? You're going to be paying all this money for them to get there. And then they're going to be like, okay, I don't know what to do from here. See ya. I'm going. I'm I'm going to bounce off your site and go to the next thing that Google was like recommending next. You know, that back button is really easy to hit. So that was going to be one of my questions for you in terms of, okay, if you're not paying for ads yet and you want to just focus foundationally because there are hundreds of ways to start, I think natural inclination for people, and I'm sure you've seen this time and again, I've been guilty of this, is trying a bunch of different things to see what sticks. And then that's how you figure out what the right funnel is. But what's your recommendation on kind of figuring out what things to start? to start out with and how to be, how long should you be consistent before you're like, this is working or this is not working. And maybe that's a very open-ended question and not a great answer, but I'm just curious, like how do people get started with doing that? Yeah. So I think there's some foundational things that have to be in place just based upon the market and where we live. Number one, like you have to have a website. You have to have a place that on the internet, people can go and read about your brand. Hopefully they can also buy your things online. I mean, I really, really hope because people hang out online. They just do. That's where they go. And the world we live in, that is the expectation is that I can buy your product on the internet. So like, that's number one. Number two, you got to have a social media presence. You just, you have to. Now I'm not saying I want you to post seven times a day and I want you to be on Pinterest and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, but like you got to have a social media presence on the platforms so that people can consume content to learn about your brand because that's where people hang out. That's where they go look things up. And if you want your current customers to be referring you, you want to keep your social media somewhat active so that when they're tagging you or sharing your stuff, there's something there for people to consume. So a website and social media and then email. And I hear product-based businesses say like, Oh yeah, I send like transactional emails, but like there's got to be more than just that your order is confirmed or your order has shipped because you are create you're using email to create a relationship with customers. And the sad thing is so many product-based businesses get into the trap of I'll give someone a discount to get their email. And I like, ooh, like I want to barf when that's the strategy because don't be the gap. Don't be bed bath and beyond where we teach people to always wait for a discount. Like we wanna have some sort of value add content that people can get in return for giving us their emails. Like that's a funnel strategy to start thinking about versus like a, I'm just gonna give everybody 10% off because that it, that just, it, that's a, you're giving money away. And I'm not saying it doesn't work, it can work. But if you're not driving the volume of traffic to like make up for the difference in margin, you're just giving stuff away. So thinking about what else could I give? And maybe it's a 
you know, I'm going to give a piece of value add content. Maybe it is a discount, but it's give us your birthday and we'll send you a discount on your birthday or something like that. But regardless, we need some sort of email service provider so that we can be emailing customers. And I hear so many customers like, oh, I get so many emails. I get so many emails. I get so many emails. And Donald Miller shared this in, I don't even know where, I think it was in one of his books. And I'm a big Donald Miller fan, but whether they click on the email or not, they see the name in their inbox. And so when they're ready to buy the thing, they need the thing, the candle, the pen, the notebook, whatever, like they remember your brand because you've been sending those consistent touch points. So website, email, social media, that's like the baseline stuff. From there, what I recommend is go back to that idea of attract, nurture, convert and pick one new thing a quarter, like one. And let's test that out for 90 days. And after the 90 days, we want to ask ourselves, okay, how intense was I? Meaning like, did I actually stick to the plan? Was I consistent? And what results did it give me? And just learn. We'll say like, well, it didn't work. Okay. It didn't work in that like you got zero results or you didn't get the results you wanted. Because sometimes not enough time has passed. And so, no, you didn't get the results that you wanted, but maybe you did get some results. And a lot of those attract strategies, Pinterest, SEO, those are great examples of long game. And it's like people say the best time to plant a tree was six years ago. Well, the second best time is today. Like we have to start to get going. But when we try to start too many things at once, we have a hard time being consistent enough to actually do it. And even with a corporate team, when I was managing like a team of eight, um, we kept going back and forth about TikTok. And this was a few years ago before TikTok had gotten to what it was today. But like I kept saying, no, we don't have the bandwidth to be on TikTok because we can't do it consistently. We'll throw up a video and then like four months will go by before we can throw up another one. So I'm not going to do it. I'm going to invest in something that we can actually be consistent with. And we had all these other things, you know, we produced a magazine and, and did a new loyalty program and all these other things. So you have to recognize how much bandwidth do you actually have and pick one thing and go all in. And then 30 to 60, 90 days later say, okay, let's look at the data. What is it telling me? Can I continue to do this? Can I continue to do this at this intensity? Is this something that could potentially be automated or outsourced? Or do I want to just like put it on the shelf and come back to it? Or does it need some tweaks to get me different results? Because maybe it's not that posting on Instagram didn't do anything for you. Maybe the copy that you wrote wasn't quite landing. So now we need to test some different types of copy. Um, So it's like a constant experiment And it's an experiment with what can you be consistent with long enough to get the data to figure out what to keep doing. I think that that's a good, it's a really good point that there are certain tasks that do require more time to read the results. And also what are those initial goals that you're setting at the start of it so that 90 days later, you can actually say this worked, this didn't, or it was underwhelming, but it did move the needle a little bit. So maybe it's worth continuing to try it. I also think that it's ultimately helps you as you're growing and you start outsourcing to be really clear on what are actual needle movers in your business. So if you're going to start outsourcing marketing or certain components of it, like if Pinterest does work for you, it makes sense to outsource that because it's a known quantity in your business. And then you as the business owner can test out a new top of funnel strategy until you see if it actually works. So you're not just like dumping money into an outsourcing task that you don't even know yet. Not not to say that that's like across the board the case, but I think it's really easy to be like, well, I should be doing TikTok and I don't have the bandwidth. So I'm just going to pay somebody to do it before you even know if that platform makes sense for your business. Yes. You know, and that's one thing that I always love to have conversations with business owners about because specialists in marketing, whether they specialize in TikTok or video content or reels or Pinterest or SEO or anything, like whatever they specialize in, specialists are marketers who are really good at marketing and are really good at telling you that the thing they do is the thing you need. But what you actually often need is a generalist to tell you, okay, let's look at the whole puzzle. Let's look at the entire symphony, the salad, 
and say, do we have all the pieces in place for this piece to actually make a difference right now based upon everything else that's going on? It's like going to see a general practitioner doctor before going to a specialist for like your thyroid. You want to check the other things first. And that's where like, if you don't have a strong marketing background, educating yourself in the funnel, in the strategies, in the basics. I'm not saying like, go back to school and get your MBA, but like have some trusted partners that you can ask questions to. And that is super important of like, don't be afraid to ask questions. It is okay to ask questions. And if you are talking to a specialist and be like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this. If they say like, oh my gosh, yes, everybody's ready. Like, "Mm, I would maybe run because not everybody is ready for everything, right? Yeah, and I think that's such a good point too. Like particularly, there's a lot of people that are Instagram experts out there, and I'm putting that in quotes. Um, Instagram experts that love to tell you that like you need to have this full robust Instagram strategy but that's just a small piece of the puzzle. And we all know, we all have our own feelings about Instagram. We all know what happens. Like the second your account is shut down, what else is happening in your business? So I think that that's a really good point to not get kind of hung up on the thing, the expert that you're following, like use their guidance and their advice, but maybe don't be so hung up on the one thing that they're saying and like laser focus on that. That's a really good point. I actually, now that I'm talking about Instagram, I'd love to pivot a little bit to talking about what we're coming up on, which is summer. (laughs) So I'm about to do a little summer series talking about how I approach summer and I'm continuously refining it every single year um, because summer is a time that we're supposed to enjoy our lives, but also product businesses. We're immediately thinking about holiday. I think most people listening to this are probably already thinking about holiday or working on holiday. So I'd love to talk about maybe, I mean, it's, partly Instagram, but it's partly partly your content strategy, how to kind of give yourself some ease during your slower months in the summer um, so that you feel like you're still showing up for your customer, but you're also giving yourself a little bit of relief if you don't have people helping you to do all your content. Yeah. So number one, my biggest tip is always batching. Like how, you know, how can you get into a rhythm where you're batching? So instead of creating one piece of content, can we create three pieces of content or can we create three pieces of content that are kind of similar, but different enough that if we sprinkle them over the next three months, like nobody's going to notice. So batching number one, but similar to batching, and this is a strategy that I took on for my own Instagram going into the summer is leveraging your Instagram grid as a mini website. And you may have heard of it as the nine grid. And it's interesting because I was introduced to this concept, I don't know, six months or so ago, maybe longer. But at the time I was like, nah, I don't know about that. Like I like creating posts. It's fun, but it is time consuming. And it is time consuming for sometimes business owners that like don't have the time. And if we want to take a little bit of a step back, thinking about posting a static grid of nine to 12 to even 15 posts that tell a story. So it's almost like a mini website for your business is a great thing to do in a really busy season. Now, like, do you, I think you should do that um, in December? No, I don't. But as a product-based business, I do think that in the summertime or as you're behind the scenes preparing for holiday, a static nine grid is not a bad idea because then as people learn about your business from referrals, from you know, SEO from maybe if you are running ads and they go to look you up, they land on your page and they get immediately what you're all about. And then you can use that grid as like a mini website while you're behind the scenes getting ready for the next thing. So whether it's used for like, hey, this is our best of the season and this is our seasonal collection, or these are the best of the best, or this is our brand story. And then you've got highlights that, you know, link back to your best sellers or your current season's products. Using that grid strategy, that static grid strategy to create a nurturing container for clients during your busy season where you can kind of get off the post-creation hamster wheel. I I think that this is such an interesting concept and I'm with you. I'm like, not sure how I feel about it, but I think if you approach it in a really smart way, it can give you such relief when you're trying to get ahead. And the thing that I am constantly chasing is getting ahead. I, for some reason I'll get ahead and then I'm like, Oh, I have some relief. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm not ahead anymore. Damn it. Like I'm not, now I'm not ahead. So I want to be really intentional with that this summer. So I'm thinking about that 
like nine grid idea. So let me ask you a question. So if you, let's say you put up your nine posts or your 12 or whatever makes sense, do you still recommend showing up on stories regularly or posting reels and just not having them like whenever you feel inspired and just not have them go to your feed? Like what are your thoughts on how to still have engagement coming through? Like, do you still need to show up? Yeah. So I do think you still need to show up, but I think you can do it in a more relaxed way versus it being like, oh my gosh, I have to make three reels a week, or I have to show up in stories five days a week. Like you can show up in stories a few days a week. You can create reels when you see something that's inspiring and like you find fun. And then it becomes content that you want to create, which is going to resonate with your ideal customer even more because it's genuine and it's not forced. And then you're staying active on the algorithm so that when you do come back with either a new seasonal nine grid for the next season's collection, or we move out of the nine grid and go back to more regular posts, you've been active enough to stay connected to your audience because it is difficult to completely revive a dead account. But what I see happening with post content, like grid content, is that we just spend so much time on it for literally like no one to see it. And it makes, it like makes you want to vomit because you're like, oh my God, like I wrote this super cute carousel post and I had a really fun caption and a really story and a really great story. And like 43 people saw it. And the only person who liked it was my mom. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, I know it used to be like you used to post something and it was like, you got such great engagement and traffic to your site and it is just a different ball game now. So I think it's really smart to be strategic about that and use it. Like you said, don't do that during the holiday season, but use it during your slow months to give yourself some like freedom to like free you up for it. Do you have any resources on how to plan that out? Or do you do that for people? Yes. So I have a simplified content plan, which is a done for you nine grid where you and I sit together for um, an hour. I ask you a ton of questions about your products, about who your ideal customer is, your brand's mission, vision, values. It does require a shared Canva login because I need to get into your Canva to have all the things, but then I will create a cohesive grid for you. And the reason that I decided to create this offer is because when in talking to people, what I found was they had the biggest hang up between like the picture in the post, the caption for the post, and then putting it all together in a cohesive story. They're like, oh my God, coming up with like one post at a time is challenging enough. Now you want me to come up with like nine and they all have to fit together like a puzzle. And I actually like love that part. That part is really fun for me. I like get my spreadsheet out. I got Canva open. I got all the notes. We're like moving things around and it's fun. And then it builds a new kind of piece of excitement on your grid that then you can even take those posts and share them to your stories like one a week and talk about like, Hey, I shared this. There's a little bit more about it and use that to continue to nurture your audience. So yes, it is something that I can do for you. And if you're like, okay, I want to do it, but I don't know if I'm ready to outsource. I also offer like a 30 minute content chat where like you and I can just brainstorm together and I can give you a list of like, okay, here's the nine posts I would do. And I'll build you out a little roadmap in that conversation so that you can do it yourself. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get your links after this and we'll make sure they're in the show notes because your brain just like works. Like you're just so good at this. I love that you're doing this because it is like such high value. And I feel you have a really amazing ability to like see into different types of businesses and be like, this is what you should be focusing on. So I like, you're just super talented. So I'm definitely going to link that out for sure. And any other like ways to work with you, I will link out all the things and make sure that they're in the email too, because I just want everybody to work with you. You're the best. You know, it's so funny. I just, I love to map things out. And that's like why I call myself a strategist. Cause that's what you do in a strategy. Like when I was in merchandising, mapping a floor set was my all-time favorite thing in the whole world. Like taking the list of products, figuring out where they were going to go. And then I remember like, I don't remember what role I was in at the time, but I would map the understock for like replenishment. And so that my team had a map of like where the, the understock and the replenishment items were. And I had like a senior manager tell me like, nobody does that. Like, who does that? And I'm like, I do. I think it's so helpful. I would map lighting. I would literally get a piece of paper and I would draw all the light bulbs and decide where they were going to point. And so then I could adjust the lighting in like 20 minutes versus two hours because I could just move my ladder around and I knew where I wanted the lights to go. So that like idea of mapping things out is like 
that was my zone of genius. I love it. I mean, that's amazing. And that takes a special type of person because not everybody thinks that way. And I feel like there is this pressure that we all need to think all the ways. Like we need to be creative. We need to also be in Excel and we also need to be really good with our finances. And we also need to map out, you know, six months ahead when maybe you're someone that like flies by the seat of your pants and that's how you work better. Like we all have our zones of genius and we feel this like external pressure to be able to do all the things. But that is why like being strategic about outsourcing or bringing support in or booking that call with somebody who actually thinks the way you don't think is really smart to actually have a different perspective on your business and like not feel that pressure. In my mind, I would love to be this person that's really good at like working really far ahead because I feel so much relief when I work really far ahead. But I cannot, like I was saying this earlier, like I cannot get myself, I like to map things out, but then I don't actually like stick with it. So I am the person that like needs you in my life, I would say. Yeah. And sometimes that's what you need is you need an accountability partner. Like I had a client who hired me. We did a done with you project together for a launch where like I didn't do everything. She did a lot of the work, but I made her a list every single week and was like, here's your homework. This is what you have to get done this week. And she was like, oh my God, like I never could have done this on my own because I would just get overwhelmed and then do nothing. And so learning about where your opportunities are and finding people that can help you with them, because you're right, like you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And so when you're trying to do all the things, the things that you're not good at are going to be even harder. So getting help is so, so important. And you know what's interesting? Like after I said that, I was, and when you were just talking, I was thinking to myself, like I'm actually really good at doing it for other people. Like when I work one-on-one with coaching clients, I can take a look at your business and help you put a strategy together, map out like the deliverables and how you're going to build out like your time. Like I am really good at that for other people. I'm not great all the time for myself with that. And there is just something about like just having, like when you said the accountability thing, I think that that's what it is when we work for ourselves. It's easy to just kind of get swept up in this tornado of all the tasks. And I don't know, I'm going down a rabbit hole on this, but I just think it's very top of mind. Okay. I have, I have one more thing I want to talk about because we're both really passionate about Q4 because of our retail backgrounds, right? So as we're talking about, okay, there's the nine grid. You feel like you've maybe had your, your content is mapped out for, or not mapped out, but it's in a good place for summer so that you can breathe a little bit, enjoy some time, and then start working on holiday or flesh out holiday. Do you have any tips on when you recommend starting to look at your Q4 content and how to approach that during your slow period so that you can feel less chaotic and a little more confident going into your busiest time period? Yeah, for sure. So Christmas in July, um, I think that's a thing because in corporate retail, it's a thing. And that's when you want to start having the conversation about holiday. And that doesn't mean you have to know every single thing you're doing in July. But in July, like we want to start ideating on what are the key volume driving products? What are the promotions that we're considering running for Black Friday? Because now we've got a runway to test those things out, to build the inventory, to figure out like from a creative perspective, like is there like a tagline or like a little graphic or a color story we want to use this holiday just to start to think about it in July. And then in August, quite honestly, like building your gift guide, framing out who are the ideal clients, what are the categories I want to have, how do I want to put these things together. And when I say gift guide, like it can be anything from a one-sheeter like PDF that people can download to an entire collection page on your website. Like there's a lot of different ways we can look at gift guide, but that gift guide becomes the anchor point for everything you do for holiday. So building that out in August and then in September and October, creating your content for November and December. So that come November and December, when you're like boxing up orders and running crazy, you're not having to think about that kind of stuff. So quite honestly, like think about November, December, January, so that you're not like, oh my gosh, the Christmas rush is over. I'm exhausted. And oh my gosh, I have done nothing for January. I'm just going to leave my holiday collection up for an extra month. Like, so mapping those things out on the calendar and that gift guide, again, becomes the anchor point for everything. You can go back to what are the products in the gift guide? 
who are the customers that I want to have product collections for from a gifting perspective? And then you can build out marketing content, whether it's website content, blogs, emails, social media, all go back to and pull from the gift guide. I think I love this. And I think I want to say it was, was it maybe on our retreat in, was it July last year or June in Columbus? We were at the retreat and we were talking about this, I want to say, and we were talking about like how that gift guide can literally be your roadmap. I'm pretty sure that we had this conversation in person and it was such a light bulb moment for me. And I'm like, you are so right. I'm creating this gift guide in the years past. I'd create this gift guide and that's evolved for me. It's It used to just be some Instagram posts. Then it was Instagram posts and a blog post. And then it was, you know, it's evolved. But once I thought about it as kind of like the anchor point and the roadmap for my content strategy, it made it so much easier last year because I built I built out the gift guide. And then every week it was just, my content was just a piece of the gift guide in different ways. It was featuring a product. It was featuring the recipient. It was just kind of there for you. It kind of just like automatically like lays itself out. Plus then you just layer in your promos and you're good to go. So that I found that to be super helpful. Yeah. And if you have a larger organization, like let's say you've got somebody helping you with your marketing or like, let's say you have a marketing team and a buying team. And speaking from corporate experience here, the marketers don't necessarily know what the volume drivers are. So you have to tell them. So like from a business planning perspective and a business goal, like what are the volume drivers? And those have got to be like the first things that we identify. What are the volume drivers? What are the like, I'm hoping this is the hot item that's going to go fast, kind of those like seasonal you know, limited edition, limited quantities, and really laying that out and making sure that everybody is super clear and aligned on that list. Because the last thing you want is it's like December 13th. And it's like, why are you talking about this product and not this product? And it's like, whoa, we should have had this conversation back in August. Like, we got to get aligned on that. You're a little late, people. And that doesn't mean like you can't change things. Like if you're in season and you're seeing that something is selling better than than something else, you can shift your marketing and you should shift it so that you're kind of following the trends and not really stuck on, you know, something that you thought was going to be. But what is your exit strategy for the thing that you thought was going to be number one? So then maybe you do a promo on that and like you can, you should be tweaking your marketing to tie back to what's working and what's not working for you. But having the roadmap early, I think is really helpful and just kind of makes everything fall into place a little bit easier. And from a promotional perspective, because this is something that I think people get hung up on during the holidays is like, we see our competitors running certain promotions and we think like, oh my gosh, I have to run the same promotion. Like, okay, well, does your margin allow for that? Does your system do that? How are you going to track it? Like promotions are a whole strategy in and of themselves. And I actually love to use things like Columbus Day, Veterans Day, Labor Day, as even Halloween, as like promotional testing times where you do like a one day promo or like a flash sale or like a send it out in an email to your most loyal customers just to get a read for like, does this make a difference? Do people care? Does this make them want to convert? And can my system handle this promotion? So that then when we're going into Black Friday, like we're super, super confident about what works. And if we need to run some contingency promotions in December, because sales aren't where we want them to be, we've already tested some things out and we're not like starting from scratch. Yeah, I think that that's a really good idea. Like testing things like free shipping or is it 20% off? Or is it a flash sale on like this collection is X percent off or, you know, this like markdown collection. I think that that's a really good idea to use those time periods. Like even 4th of July, you know, you'd still have time when this airs, you'd still have time to impact that and like just test out those promo ideas. I think that's a really good idea. So you're just like walking into that season with a really good idea of this moves the needle and this does not move the needle. So you're not wasting your time. Yeah. And I have one more tip that I have to share. I just thought about this and it kind of ties back to that gift guide. But if you're like, okay, I don't like my collections are broken. I don't really know what to promote because I've got holes and like, or maybe we're in this like between collections phase and like you're not in the new season yet, but the old season is winding down. Do collections by color, pick a color, whether it's white, black, red, blue, whatever is like seasonally relevant 
and just pull together products that fit in that color story. And so that's a really good way to like get some momentum going when you don't have a, a gift collection just yet, or you don't have a full, you know, new arrivals are here um, and, and test out what works, right? And so then like in December, you can do a all things red or all things green or whatever. And those those become kind of filler content pieces that you never know might really resonate with your audience. I mean, I think that it's just aesthetically pleasing and people are always attracted to something that is bold. It's eye-catching. And you're talking about, you were talking about like content that stops you in your tracks. A lot of times that can be really eye-catching and can grab attention. So while it seems like a really easy, obvious thing, if you pepper those in, I think that that, like even I've done gift guides that are just gift guides by color and those have done really well. Just like a good, it's it's right in front of you. It's like low-hanging fruit. It seems like that, but your customer is like, oh, look how beautifully that's pulled together. I love that. So I think that that's a great, that's a really great tip. So Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things and a couple ways to work with you, but tell everybody how they can find you and like the perfect way to work with you for planning out their Q4 content. Because I feel like right now is a really good time to work with someone like you to get ahead of it. If you find that you're just continuously on the hamster wheel and you want to actually go into this Q4 season, like crushing it and like confident. Yeah, for sure. Well, my first tip is I have a gift for you. Um, It's actually a holiday content planner that I put together with six weeks of content props for like that Black Friday week through the end of the year. So I'm sure you'll link it in the show notes, but you can grab it at theconsistencycorner.com slash holiday content planner. Um, so that's a gift for you. And then I'm always hanging out on Instagram at the consistency corner, or you can check out my website, theconsistencycorner.com about more ways to work together. Oh, I love it. And your podcast is so good too. So all the things I'll link everything out. Yes. My podcast is all marketing and mindset. I bring on experts in different areas of the marketing world and the mindset world because we need both, um, but really fun, quick lessons every Monday that draw. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. This was, I'm already like, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing and start working on holidays. So thank you for all of your insights and your advice. This was such a fun chat. Yes. So much fun. Thank you for having me. All right. That's all I've got for you today. I am so glad that you're here. If you are loving the show, I would be beyond grateful if you would just take a minute to rate and review this podcast just to help spread the word. Now there's something in it for you too, as a little thank you. If you leave a review, share a screenshot or just share the show to your stories and tag me at product to profit coach on Instagram. You'll be entered to win my new monthly giveaway where you'd win a hot seat coaching call with me. You'd have the option to record it live on this podcast, which not only would be so much fun, but would also give your amazing brand some visibility and you a quick win. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope that you absolutely crush your sales this week.